Welcome to the Paleo NP podcast. I'm Martha, a family nurse practitioner and creator of MarthaFlorence.com. I live in Anchorage, Alaska with my boyfriend and fur children. I'm here to share my take on integrative health, nutrition, and fitness, answer your questions, and talk with health and wellness experts. You can submit your questions at MarthaFlorence.com. Enjoy this week's episode. Remember that the materials and content within this podcast are intended as general information only and are not to be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Welcome back to another episode of the Paleo NP podcast. My guest on today's show is Trisha Hughes, and she is the creator of the website Eat Your Beats, where she shares delicious food and amazing photos of food. I'm going to let her introduce herself in just a minute, but one of the things that I love about her is that she is always an advocate for doing what works for her and her family, and whether this is intentional or not, she's not big on labeling her approach or her food or whatever. So I love that about her. That's not what we're talking about today though, but I think it's worth mentioning because again, like I said, that's one of the things that I really like about her. Um, The other more recent aspect of her work is an online journal that she started called Medicated Like Me, where she's documenting her experience with therapy and mental health. And this is why I really wanted to have her on the show. Talking about food and photography is always fun and people love it, but I think that talking about mental health is incredibly important. So welcome to the show, Trisha. Thank you so much for being here and being willing to talk about this with me. Aw, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. I'm nervous, but excited. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you tell our listeners who may not really know you very well a little bit about yourself and maybe some background on your business? So um, I live in the Midwest, currently live in the Midwest. Um, I've been a military spouse for about 15 years. So we have lived all over the globe, literally all over the globe. Um, we have four kiddos. Um, my oldest is a teenager, which is really fun and interesting and uh, makes for a lot of really great topics, podcast topics as well. <laughs> I feel like teenagers are always a trip. Um, and I, I sort of at this point in my business consider myself a bit of a recovering food blogger. Um, I like that. Yeah. (laughs) I started my food blog about five years ago. And when I started, gosh, I really had no idea, you know, what it was going to turn into. I knew I just had such a great passion for cooking and for real food and feeding my kids. And it was such a big part of our life. Um, But through that process, you know, I kind of realized that writing recipes wasn't my favorite thing to do. And it was actually kind of like took the joy out of cooking for me. Um, And so luckily, because I did enjoy photography so much, um, I have found myself over this past year deciding to transition to do um, less blogging for myself and focus more on like photography for clients and commercial work. Um, so that's been really exciting. And then my best friend and I just created um, our in-person photography retreats for women. And so um, we now host We Wanderers retreats. And we had our first one in Savannah um, just this month. And we're already looking forward to 2019. So that honestly has been probably a dream for me to create this with my best friend for probably the last three years we've been talking about it. So it's just amazing to see it actually happening. So yeah, I'm very proud of that. Awesome. Yeah. I enjoyed all of your Instagram photos of your retreat. Uh, I hope hope maybe someday I'm not, I'm a self-taught photographer and I hate taking photos of food, which is why I'm not a food blogger. (laughs) I also hate writing recipes, which is why I'm not a food blogger. Even though people are like, please, I want your recipe for this. And I'm like, just put the, put the stuff in the pan and cook it. I know. Honestly, that's how I cook too. That's how, yeah, yeah, that's how I cook just by intuition. So it's challenging when you need to write a recipe. Absolutely. Um, well, so I didn't realize how strongly I felt about the topic of mental health until earlier in the year when, and you may have had this reaction too, when people just start randomly posting the number for the suicide prevention line mm-hmm. on, on Facebook, every time somebody famous dies. And sure. I did, as I said, I did a previous episode of the podcast. It's episode 29 for anybody who wants to go back and listen, um, with my friend Stephanie from cleaner Stephanie. And we talked all about kind of that aspect of like mental health and why it needs to be an ongoing conversation. Um, And I I just feel really passionately about destigmatizing the way that we talk about mental health. As a healthcare professional, I personally have no problem talking about it, which is actually something that they teach you in school. Like they taught you, they teach you how to uh, talk about uncomfortable situations and uncomfortable things in a very non-judgmental kind of way. 
when I was in nurse practitioner school, one of my instructors actually had us go practice um, talking about sexual orientation in the mirror so that oh, you wow. don't make unintentional funny faces when you're asking people if they slept with <laughs> men, women, or both, because it's really, easy, it's really easy to not realize what your face is doing when you're talking about sure. that. Sure. So, yes. Anyway, I, imagine. I have no problem talking about these things, but I realized very quickly that other people are not as comfortable about it. Um, yeah. so that's kind of, and they don't, they don't want to share their own experiences either, which I think is, is valuable if it's, if it feels okay to people, I think it's valuable to helping other people by sharing your own experience. So thank you for being a part of this conversation. I really appreciate that. Yeah. And as someone else who also shares a lot about my life online, sharing this journey makes sense to me. Like your, your willingness to share it online makes sense to me, especially if others can benefit. Um, but can you just talk a bit about, um, how medicated like me came about and how you decided to share it online? Yeah. Well, um, I think it's interesting because, um, actually at the time I wasn't really looking for like a project for mental health. I was actually more looking for a photography project. Um, I was feeling a little uninspired in my personal photography and I had asked one of my friends, you know, like, do you know a great portrait photographer that I could learn from? I just want to try something different and I want to do something new. And she started talking to me about portrait photography and it made me realize how much I really did not like taking pictures of people. <laughs> and so I was like, maybe she, so she said, what kind of portrait photography do you want to do? And I was like, I guess I don't. Um, <laughs> so at the time she and I started talking about personal projects, which personal projects are really big in the photography community. And they can be something as simple as like a 365 where you take a picture every single day, or they can be something, you know, a little bit more personal or meaningful. And so she and I kind of had been bouncing around some ideas for personal projects, but I didn't really know what I wanted it to be. Um, at that point in, in time, I had probably been in therapy for not, not full a year yet, um, but I just remember having this really, really terrible day. And I just remember I couldn't stop crying. And I, I have been, I'm changing, but typically I was a person who could not cry. I never cried. Even my best friend had said to me once, you've known me for 10 years. It's okay to cry in front of me, but I just never would be able to break down that wall. And I remember sitting in my bathroom and just sobbing and I couldn't stop sobbing. And then I had a moment where I just saw my camera and I picked it up and I put it on self timer and I just sat in front of the camera and cried. And that is sort of how medicated like me began. I felt like I had always been a writer, um, but I never resonated with traditional journaling in the sense of, you know, having a journal and keeping daily thoughts written down, or even I had tried to journal after therapy sessions and I just didn't seem to connect with that. But what I did connect with was storytelling. And so I felt like when I was dealing with all of these emotions and capturing those emotions with my camera, then being able to write out my story as I was, you know, feeling it, that sort of was kind of how it turned into this personal project of not only being self-portraits, which I find incredibly challenging to take. Um, so not only was it pushing me, you know, in terms of like that side of creativity, but also then being allowed a space where I could process and storytell um, my story, how I saw it. So that's sort of how medicated like me came to, came to be. That's fascinating. I mean, I think it's fascinating that it was more about photography. Like I, as being a photographer, that makes sense, but like, that's not at all how I, I think you say that at some point in, in the, about the description of the project, but that's not at all how I, how I would have interpreted. So I think that's really interesting. Yeah. 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 I mean, really, like I said, I, I didn't plan. And I think too, I didn't plan on it. I didn't plan on starting a personal project about myself. I really was just looking for a project. And, and what was so great is that when I saw the pictures from that day, I, I could look at them so objectively and I could sit and look at myself and I saw myself in such a way that I'd never seen myself before. But what was really fascinating is once other people saw it, you know, they would, they were like seeing these pictures of you is heartbreaking, which is, interesting because it, 
looking at it myself, I'm able to separate and I don't see that. I don't see that as myself. So I sort of don't, I don't know. It's, it's just different, but yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like it was born more out of like pushing myself creativity creatively with my photography. That's really interesting. How do you think that sharing this journey online um, in such a public way has impacted it? Do you feel like that it changes the way, you know, you talk about your family, you talk about your husband. Um, Do you feel like it's changed the way you interact with your family, specifically your spouse would be my question. Yeah. I mean, so originally when I started it, I didn't, I didn't want to feel like I needed to filter myself, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so because I didn't want to have to filter, I decided I probably wouldn't share it with anybody (laughs) just because I always, you know, I always have this feeling that I would never want something that I say to hurt someone in any way. Um, I think even if it, even if it speaks to my truth, but a lesson that I've really had to learn over the past few months is that I can't take on the emotions of other people. And so whatever their response to it even if I feel partially responsible for that, I, I can't let myself get caught up in that. So I was worried that if I did share it, it would somehow um, change like the authenticity or change the way, change the things that I felt like I could say. Um, so that, that was sort of something that I just had to resonate with myself. And even if, I, as I was writing, you know, I found myself saying, mm, I don't know if I can say that. And there are stories that I want to tell that I just haven't been able to tell yet because I feel like even though they might be shared stories or shared experiences, it's not necessarily my story to tell. So the people that are involved in those, I feel like I either need to ask their permission or at least ask them if it would be okay to talk about certain things like that. Um, In terms of my family, um, that's been really challenging. That's been really challenging. I, I, I did get a text message from my dad. He called me and I, I didn't answer the phone because <laughs> I was scared to talk to him, but he sent me a text message and just basically said like, that, you know, that I don't need to talk to you about anything. I just want you to know I'm really proud of you. And so I knew that they had probably been reading my journal, which it, it's, it's hard. It's hard because part of the reason that I started it, started this journal is because it was, a way for me to say the things that I couldn't actually speak to the world. Right. Um, I mean, I think specifically with my husband, I mean, initially I did not share it with him. Um, and honestly, like I said, I didn't know if I had plans to share it at all. Um, I had a couple of friends that I spoke to about the project and they had asked if they could read it. And so then once I allowed them to sort of read it, they said to me like, you have to share this with people. So it was really their encouragement that made me decide to share it publicly. But I didn't even share it with my husband then at that point, right? So like I put it out to the world and then I didn't share it with him. And I think at that point, when I realized all these people were reading it, it felt like a little bit of a betrayal to not tell my husband. And I don't know if that's such a strong word, but that's how I felt. Um, It just felt like because it was so personal to me and also spoke about him, it just felt very unfair on my part to not share something so personal with him. So that's when I did. And I had also been really encouraged by my best friend who kind of was like, these are, these are important thoughts that he needs to have access to as well. I do know something about my personality is that whenever I feel guarded or afraid, I tend to shut down. And so it was probably for the best that I you know, shared it with him so that he could read the things that I wasn't able to actually say. Um, it was very hard for him to read. And he told me as much, you know, he said it's really hard for me to read. Um, but ultimately, I think it was for the best because I think it laid groundwork for us to begin to have even more difficult conversations than we, than we had been able to have previously. And I, I think it also gave him so much more insight into how I was feeling because the things that I was able to write were things I had not ever been able to articulate in speaking or conversations that we were having. So I feel like while it was difficult and while 
it's absolutely paved the way for like more difficult conversations. I mean, I feel like that's like a theme in my life, my life um, to the point where sometimes I'm like, Can I just take a break from hard things today. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like without it, I, I probably would have not been able to say those things ever. Maybe. So. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's really interesting. And I think that it says a lot about, you know, like even me personally, like having difficult conversations is hard. I would much rather write somebody a letter or just Mm -hmm. write it out and have them read it or whatever, like than actually speaking those words. So I think that, I think that it's great that that was sort of a, a a roundabout way to start this conversation because chances are, you know, in any relationship, like you, what you're feeling is not, you're not the only one that's feeling certain strains or certain difficulties but if you if neither one of you wants to like do the work to bring it up like that's hard um so taking a creative approach is is kind of ingenious really (laughs) well I can't say I'm going to take credit for it but (laughs) I think one of the other things that was great too is that by me being so open and I have found this just across the board not just with my husband but even with like friends or you know people on Instagram that that I have relationships with by me being so open it's sort of laid a foundation for other people to follow that and also to reciprocate with that so if I am able to be so open you know and I I have said this many times, but I feel like I can never go back to the way that I was now that I, now that it's sort of like, um, you know, it's just the practice of being able to do it so often where it doesn't feel so painful or it doesn't feel so scary because you're, you just say, no, this is who I am now. I'm able to say these things and say things that are hard and have hard conversations um, and not be angry and not be bitter or, you know what I mean? And try to be a little bit more reflective. So yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like it was able to give him space to probably say things that he had never said to me before as well. Yeah. And I think, I think you're just kind of brutal honesty about yourself and about what's happening in your life. I mean, it makes you, it makes you more relatable as a person for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like you're being, there's no question in my mind about your authenticity, which, mm-hmm. you know, when you run a business online is is kind of important to be authentic, I think. And that's a lesson that I'm trying to learn. And I don't think that I'm not trying to imply that that was the intention of the project, but I think that, I think that it makes you incredibly relatable and just kind of like unapologetically authentic. And I, I appreciate that about it. That's something that that is, is a message that's been (laughs) given to me many times. And I'm, I'm trying to work on incorporating that myself. So yeah. I think that was something that was really like kind of a turning point too for me in my, like, if you want to say my online journey, <laughs> but just that, that I sort of reached this point where just dealing with my life was so big and so overwhelming that it just did not feel authentic for me to continue to talk about my favorite soup or, you, you know, like, or, oh, I love these brownies. They're so great. Right. Because I literally felt like my world was falling apart. And also the type of personality that I have, I cannot put myself wholly into my work unless it just is all encompassing for me. And I feel so passionately about it. And so I could not feel passionate about soup <laughs> when I felt like I was, I was like, you know, like I was, I was just, everything was too much. So I just felt like I, you know, I've always tried to be really honest and authentic and open and all the things that I think all of us as humans want to be. But I just realized I could no longer continue to show up in a space on social media, doing the things that I was doing because it was like taking a piece of my soul away. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's, that's, (laughs) that's great for recognizing that and doing something about it. Cause I think a lot of people probably wouldn't do anything about it. They just carry on, yeah. which is unfortunate. But, um, so this project started out, like you said, as a self portrait, um, kind of creative exploration. How has it changed the way that you see yourself? Well, I think firstly, I don't really worry about how I look in my images. I mean, some days I have on makeup and some days, I don't. Some days my skin's broken out. Um, there's one picture um, where I'm holding my son and my 
hair is dirty. I'd been on the soccer field watching soccer games all day and I was wearing a baseball cap and I just turned it around in the picture so that I wouldn't have shadows on my face. But um, I really, like I said, I really loved the idea of being able to look at myself objectively. Um, I think especially because as women, I'll just speak for women in general, but especially women as we get closer and closer to, I'll be 40 this summer, I feel like something happens with the way that we look at ourselves, right? And something happens with the way that we then present ourselves to the world. And I loved the idea of being able to say, I'm not going to posture for the camera. Um, I'm not going to try to you know, make my waist look small or my neck look long or, you know, anything that might make me more or less photogenic, more or less beautiful by, you know, societal standards. But I'm literally just going to try to focus on the emotion that I'm feeling and hopefully capture that with my camera. I feel like that was a really great thing for me to look at myself objectively. Um, and also too, I, I never keep any of the images once they're edited. Um, I edit the series and then I delete them all except for the one that I've edited because I felt like it really did a disservice to me to sort of go back and um, just sort of go through all those series of images again, especially if it's something that I was dealing with that was really challenging in the moment. It's, it's almost like having to relive those feelings by going through that series of images and I didn't want to do that. So I decided that um, I would just delete all except for the one that I published. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's been great to look at myself objectively and not always try to focus on if I look beautiful or not beautiful or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm fascinated by this <laughs> truly. <laughs> just, it's like, I'm a creative person, but this is sure. not ever something that I would have. It's, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's not, as you said, you don't want to take credit for the idea, but it's just not something that I think that we're taught to, we talk about our feelings. We, you know, talk to our friends about our feelings. We explore our feelings. We feel our feelings. Like we do all of these things, but we don't ever really, like, this is a great way to almost do something about them in a way that doesn't, it's not like sitting around talking about them. You're actually, you're actually examining your, your feelings from an objective standpoint, which that kind of, it kind of blows my mind a little bit. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm I'm not sure. Do you feel like that happened naturally that you were just able to look at them objectively or do you think that that took work? Cause I don't feel like I would be able to do the same. I don't know about other people, but. Um, I feel like in terms of the photos, it felt easier for me. It was easier. As <laughs> soon as I started like uploading and looking through the images, I just sort of had to make that decision immediately mm -hmm. because I knew otherwise I would get bogged down with, with what was not my intention. I was going to get bogged down with, oh, look, my eyes are kind of closed. This eye is bigger than the other. My teeth don't right. look, you know what I mean? And I yeah. didn't want to get bogged down with that. I, and I knew that I truly could if I allowed myself to. So to me, it just made more sense to just look, upload these pictures and be completely objective. And also too, because one of the things that I felt really, really strongly about, especially as I've kind of dealt with my own issues with insecurity is that I always say to people, like, look at yourself like someone who loves you would look at you, right? Because there are people that we have in our lives who on the worst day, on their worst, absolute worst day, they still are so beautiful to us. And I love the fact that we are able to do that for other people, but not necessarily do the same thing for ourselves. Um, and so... I feel like kind of taking, taking the vanity part out of it was really important for me because if I could just look at myself as, you know, like just another human who's having a day or dealing with something, then I allowed myself to sort of say, you know, I, I, I don't know this person. I don't know what they're dealing with. I love them for everything that they are just because they are. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think probably it was it was a decision that I made, but it turned into probably a little bit more over time. Yeah, that's great. 
Yeah. Um, something that I've been super adamant of, about for a very long time that is that we as a society need to feel our feelings. Like mm-hmm. we're not very good at doing that or we're not very good at talking about them. Um, but we definitely need to feel them, especially if we're ever going to move past them. Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean publicly proclaiming what we're feeling because not everything needs to go on the internet or on Facebook, but just mm-hmm. kind of riding out that wave of emotion and moving past it. Can you talk a little bit about being okay with feeling your feelings and how do you think that we can change this perception other than just talking about it? Cause I think we need to do better. As a society. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, I feel like it's even, even through the process of going through therapy, it's taken me a while to be able to accept feeling my feelings. I think for, I think one big thing therapy did for me was it allowed me to feel validated, um, in how I was feeling. And I think that I don't want to speak for other people, but I hear that a lot from people who read my project who say to me, you've made me feel like I'm not alone or you made me feel heard or seen. Um, Because I think that while we may have different specifics in our stories, we probably all have the same basic needs, which is we all want to feel loved. We all want to feel valued. We all want to feel productive and we all want to feel content contentment in some way, not necessarily happiness because that looks different for everybody, but just maybe just acceptance. Um, And I feel like just like a muscle, the more I practiced sitting in my feelings, the more I gave myself permission to be, to feel those feelings. And that was a big thing for me because for so many years, I mean, from childhood through even my marriage, through friendships, I always had people tell me, you know, you, you have too many feelings. You just, you feel things too deeply or um, your, your emotions are all over the place or we never know what to do with you or you're so sensitive about everything. And once I sort of turned to look at that as like a gift, it suddenly felt like such a blessing to say, I, I a hundred percent am that way. I absolutely am that way. And I love that about myself. I love that I care so deeply about so many things that maybe aren't even things to people. Right. Um, but giving myself permission and acceptance to say, these are your feelings and they're valid and they're authentic and they're beautiful and they may be too big for some people, but that's not a fault of yours. If your feelings and emotions are too big for some people, that's okay because you're right. It's, it's, it's not on you. Um, so that honestly has probably been one of the best lessons that I've learned over the last year is just truly allowing myself to feel so deeply and be okay with that and not try to shut it down and, and try to, try to pack it away or bury it or say it's not valid or it's not real. Um, But just instead, you know, allowing myself to feel that way. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's kind of goes with talking about, you know, getting negative responses to things like that's more of a reflection on the other, the other person, how they, something inside of them, but that when it's, when you're talking about your actual feelings, like it's hard to, it's hard to, distinguish that you know somebody says your feelings are too big like that's them being uncomfortable with your feelings who are they to tell you that but at the same time like it's your family it's people you care about like that makes it really hard mm-hmm. um so i think that it's I, i'm glad i'm glad that you use it to your advantage like i think that's it's not easy to do it's not easy to recognize and yeah. i think that you know we could we could all do better at that I, again, like I always tell people, they're like, oh, I feel, I feel depressed or I feel whatever. I feel sad. And that's okay. Like, I don't know why we don't, it's uncomfortable to feel your feelings sometimes. It's not enough. Everything is not happy and lovely and rainbows and kittens all the time. But if you don't feel them or you don't allow yourself to feel them or even just acknowledge them, like, yes, I feel sad today. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Then you're never going to move past them and you're never going to grow as a person. Yeah. That's something. Yeah. I think what also has been really beneficial for me through therapy is that realizing that we have surface feelings that come out and we also have underlying feelings that maybe we're too afraid to explore. Um, and I think especially those, those feelings come out of things like, um, you know, anger, right? So when you're angry, I feel like 
you know, a lot of times you aren't truly angry. A lot of times you're feeling betrayed, you're feeling abandoned, you're Mm -hmm. feeling, you know, other feelings, hurt, loss. Um, So I think that understanding sometimes the feelings that we manifest in the moment aren't the root of what we're actually feeling. And so it's really important to figure out, you know, like, oh, I felt angry, but I didn't really feel angry. What I actually felt was abandoned or alone, right? So I think that getting to those root feelings of like the bigger feelings has been really, really important work for me as well. That's, yeah, that's, that's a really great point. Um, kind of shifting gears a little bit here, a lot of the people in the world of natural or ancestral health and wellness talk, work really hard to avoid medications, which I think is a great overall approach to health since a lot of medications function like Band-Aids. Um, mm-hmm. Medications like antidepressants and anti-anxiety, anti-anxiety medications have a lot of stigma around them, but mm-hmm. you, when you throw that into the world of natural health, people get really upset when you mention it. Um, yeah. I definitely don't take, as a practitioner, I don't take the decision, and as a human being, I mean, I've been on antidepressants before, I don't take that decision lightly, but at the same time, I feel that if you need them, you need them, and Mm -hmm. if you're working with the right healthcare professional, then it can often be temporary, though not always, and that's also okay, Mm -hmm. Um, but how did you know that starting medication was the right choice for you? I... I have to say, I mean, I feel like I, I feel like I keep saying this was a big thing for me, but honestly, taking medication was probably the most painful decision that I could have made. Um, and I agree, it's because there's so much stigma that really lies around taking medication. And and I'll tell you kind of why I have take issue with it. It's because I kept feeling for so long, like I I just need to exercise more. I need to take sugar out of my diet. I need to have more adaptogenic herbs and I need to exercise more and more yoga and more meditation. But what we do when we focus on things like that is we almost put it, we almost place the blame on the person who's struggling with anxiety or depression or whatever else you might be struggling with we put the blame on that person to say, you could do more. You're not doing enough. And if you would only have just done your 100th yoga class, you would be better, right? Um, and so I, I, of course, this is me now. I couldn't have seen that in myself you know, last year. But essentially, I was going through a really difficult time in therapy. My husband was coming home from a six-month deployment. And the thought of him coming home filled me with so much dread and anxiety that I could not even look forward to the fact that this person who'd been gone for six months was finally coming home. And I just remember like just laying in my bed covered under blankets and just like crying because it was too much and I didn't want to deal with it. And I didn't want him to come back because I didn't want to do any of that. I had so much anxiety wrapped around it. And so my therapist at that time had suggested that I see this, that I see her nurse and uh, talk to her about getting on some medication. And she knew, she knew that I was very, very hesitant because we had discussed it before. Obviously I'd been in therapy for a while at that point. Um, But I went to see the nurse practitioner and, um, And what was one really great thing that my nurse did for me is she actually did a genetic panel on me called GeneSight. Mm -hmm. Um, And that really helped sort of soothe at least some of the fears that I had because, I mean, I will tell you, especially people in like the holistic natural food world, we can get really, really dogmatic about stuff like this. And I, again, it was very easy for me to place blame on myself for the reasons that I wasn't feeling well enough. Um, but when I took this, when I, so I took the prescription, started taking the medication. At that point, I had already decided we're just going to go for it. The GeneSight panel definitely helped me make that decision and feel at least a little bit more confident. But I remember going back for my med check to see my nurse and saying to her, I didn't realize how bad I was because, and I don't want to like get teary, but I just remember like, like even I had stopped using my office, you know, I had stopped making plans for, for like things that I wanted to do in the future. 
my office was literally just like littered with papers and you know, all sorts of other things. I kind of used it to hide everything when the cleaning lady would come. <laughs> that's where, that's where like all the laundry and <laughs> random shoes that my kids lose would end up is in my office. And I, I went back to my med check and I said to her, like, I feel like for the first time in my life, I can look forward and I can plan things. And I'm excited about things happening in my future. And I'm excited about, you know, things I'm going to do. And she said, you you didn't realize like how bad you actually were. You didn't realize how much you were actually struggling. And I think that was the reality is I truly didn't. I didn't realize, you know, I'm honestly so grateful that I started taking medication even. And, and what I had said to my therapist after was I felt like it just sort of took the edge off of everything for me because I had gotten to the point with my children where I would ask them to do something and they would just give me the typical, you know, little kid response. And I would be zero to 60. You know, I would just slam my hand on the counter and say, you'll do what I say. You won't speak back to me. There was no negotiation because my responses to everything were knee jerk responses. They weren't thoughtful. They weren't intentional. It was literally a survival response. And that's how I knew, you know, that I really needed to, I needed help beyond therapy. But yeah, honestly, I, I am so, so grateful that I started taking medication and I don't know if I will take it forever, but I'm glad that I started. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think there was, is it Stacy from the paleo view? I think she talked about something very similar because again, their approach is very much like holistic avoid medications when possible. I think I'll try to find the episode and link to it. Um, but she kind of talked about the same thing. And I, so I was on antidepressants before I ever cared about anything health related. It was when I was in college, but there have been times in my life since then when I have sort of thought, you know, I wonder if that would be the right choice for me now. I don't know. It's not, again, it's not something that I take lightly, but I think that it's, it's also not a, pardon the severe words, a death sentence. Like you're not taking medication Mm -hmm. forever necessarily and you won't know how it affects you until you try it. And if you feel like you're in this cycle of I need to do more, I need to do do more, that is also not okay. Um, And I don't think people, I don't think people recognize that. And it's not a fault. It's definitely not the fault of the person who is experiencing that. I think it's also the fault of a lot of healthcare practitioners for putting that stigma there, right? Like even, I don't care if you're a naturopath, if your patient needs antidepressants, they need antidepressants, right? Like there's nothing you can do about that. You can try, but at a certain point, it's the wrong thing to do, in my opinion. It's probably an unpopular opinion, but I don't don't care so much about that. Um, What about, what about counseling? How do you know, how did you know that it was the right time to go to counseling? How did you, how did you make that decision? Because that's, again, people, people feel very judged when they say that they be a counselor. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like it was a similar road to that. Um, I was dealing with a lot of issues. I was really, really unhappy, feeling really bad. I had gained a bunch of weight. I couldn't lose. I just felt exhausted all the time. And I was like, I have adrenal fatigue. That's what I have. I have adrenal fatigue. So I started working, um, with Sarah from the organic dietitian. And basically she was like, we're going to run some hormone panels for you. We're going to see what's going on. You know, we're going to take a deep dive into all of this stuff. And so, because again, I wanted to be as holistic as possible, as natural as possible. And I truly felt like, you know, gosh, after having four children and nursing and having hormones go up and down and approaching my forties, right? There must be, there must be a cause. There's a root cause for the way that I'm feeling. Right. And so I worked with Sarah and basically, you know, my hormone panel came back and she was kind of like, okay, well, listen, she's like, your cortisol's basically done. Your body's fought as long as it can fight and it's ready to take a rest. And you, you're, your body's telling you that you are almost done. And she said, there are a few hormonal things that we could probably fine tune, but the real, the real thing that this is all pointing to in your hormone panel is that this is an emotional issue that needs to be sorted out. And I was so mad. (laughs) I was so angry with that news because I thought, no, nope, that's wrong. Because to me, I could do a diet. 
I could take supplements and I did take supplements, but I could take a probiotic. I could exercise more. I could do more yoga, right? Those are the things I knew how to do and I could do. They were quantifiable to me. But when she said like the biggest issue that you're dealing with is a, is an emotional component, I kind of was like, nope, that's the thing that I cannot do. That's the thing I cannot deal with. And luckily I had a really, really great friend who um, had been through therapy and was on medication herself. And she just had always been very encouraging to me for so many years, you know, and every time I would kind of come to her with new issues, she would just gently say things like, you know, this is something that a therapist might be able to help you with. And luckily she was just such a great consistent friend that she never got, you know, frustrated with me or she never felt like, you know, Trisha never listens. I'm just going to stop telling her. Um, but eventually after years of me having these conversations with her, I said to her, like, I think I'm ready to find a therapist. And I think also, too, it was the knowledge that I had from working with Sarah, but it was basically the knowledge that she gave me that said, listen, you're not going to get better if you don't address these issues that you're having. And to me, that was such a wake-up call because I knew the work that I was committed to putting into if it was regarding diets or supplements or exercise. So then why would I not put that much work into trying to figure out emotionally what was happening with me? And I knew that if I was committed to getting better, which I really was, that I needed to do everything, everything, actually everything. And so that's when I decided to go ahead and try to find a therapist. Thank you for illustrating the point that I literally make to everybody. <laughs> I mean, I, that was unprompted. So <laughs> real life here, people. Um, I, you know, adre like adrenal fatigue is such a big thing and in really any health concern, but at a certain point, the root cause, like I, I'll use adrenal fatigue as the example, you know, diet supplements, important part of healing. However, the root cause of adrenal fatigue is stress. So mm -hmm. until you address that emotional component of things, you are not going to get better. And it's, people get so frustrated because it's not the sexy answer. There's no, right. you know, the adrenal fatigue diet, whatever. Great. Like that'll make you feel better, but it's just as bad in that situation as taking a medication to put a bandaid on a problem. It's putting a bandaid on the problem until you address that root cause. So yeah. thank you for illustrating that point. <laughs> um, I really appreciate it. Um, but it's I, true. It's it all is, true. It is. And I don't think, I think the, the issue with most people is they're just not ready to hear it. it yeah. until, you know, until you, until you're truly ready to do that work, it's mm -hmm. not nobody, it's not going to happen. And I, yeah. and I recognize that and I accept that. And as a practitioner, that's my job is to just kind of keep help people limp along a little bit and, and just keep reiterating the, the importance of that um, and not be judgmental about it. But it's, it's so important to address that underlying emotional cause. Yeah. So, um, I, and I also think that basically if you're human, you could benefit from counseling. I mean, just <laughs> sure. maybe not, maybe not long-term, but at, at a certain point in our lives, like we all have stuff to deal with and we just need to talk to somebody who's not our, our friend or our family member. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. A hundred percent believe that all the time. I talk to people and that's the first thing I think is, are you seeing a therapist? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I hope your therapist has a referral program. <laughs> referring people. She does hand me business cards quite often. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Um, the problem being with finding a therapist is it's hard to find one that you click with. I often yeah. equate, and that's true for any healthcare practitioner. I sure. often equate finding a new healthcare provider with dating because you have to try a few times before you find the right one. Yeah. Um, do you have any advice for finding a counselor? Um, I mean, I think that, I think it's great if you can ask people for recommendations. I think that's always helpful. Agreed. Um, I do know also in terms of what I did, I literally just went online and looked to see who would take my insurance. It wasn't like I was at that point where I was like any old gal will do. I don't know. <laughs> um, I do feel like for women, it feels important for me to speak to another woman. So that was important to me. Um, something else my therapist does is um, EMDR, which mm -hmm. is uh, something that I felt like might be beneficial to me. I really did not truly know anything about it, um, but I'm glad that I ended up with her knowing um, what I know about it now. And after having some sessions of EMDR, I feel like it's been beneficial. Um, so that was great for me to find somebody who, um, who would be able to offer that to me. So I would just say, honestly, yeah, Google and asking if friends have recommendations. And, and, and like I said, 
I am not super quick to recommend my therapist, but if people say to me that they're having a hard time and if I get to the end of the conversation, I will sometimes feel like saying, well, if you want to find somebody, I, I have somebody, you know, like mm -hmm. I'll, I'll give you her card. So, um, yeah, but I mean, anytime you can get a personal recommendation, I feel like for anything, that's great. Yeah, I, I definitely, I always tell people to go to their their website for their insurance and figure out who their insurance will cover first, if you have insurance, um, or if your insurance does cover that. And then my recommendation is also often, I have a list of people that as a, pro a provider that I refer people to in the city that I live in because I trust them. I yeah. know that they won't be a, a necessarily a good fit for everyone. I had a couple of patients who had really bad experiences with local counselors. And mm -hmm. I just was, after that, I was like, okay, I need to come up with a list of people who I trust um, because sure. I don't feel good about making that recommendation otherwise. Um, but also I usually recommend people call the office and ask a few questions if they're if they're concerned about finding you know the right fit. Um, mm. You know, ask a few questions. The way that the office staff treats you is important in you know the overall experience, and often doesn't necessarily speak to the counselor or therapist themselves, but it it speaks to the culture that they they create in their office, sure. which is important. Um, yeah. And sometimes you can even just ask a couple of questions about their approach and get some information that can help you there. Yeah. Um, but it's not an easy, sometimes you end up with a counselor or a therapist and you're like, this isn't the right fit for me. And then you go on and you find a new one and that's okay too. Um, yeah. but making that first, don't let, don't let perfection stop you from making that first step for sure. Cause then sure. it can be analysis paralysis, just like any other health changes. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we all know also that me mental health, like physical health is affected by a lot of things and you, pr people probably realize that their mental health affects their physical health and their physical health affects their mental health. Um, can you talk about what other things that you're doing specifically for your mental health besides medication and therapy? Yeah. Um, so I try to get a lot of sleep. Um, I'm the type of person that really needs quite a bit more sleep. Um, you know, if I have four to six hours, that's not going to cut it. I'm the type of person that really needs like seven to eight solid hours. Um, so sort of protecting my sleep time as much as I can. And, um, I sleep with a really dark room and yes, I have kids that end up in my bed almost every night, but for the most part, I feel like sleep I mean, when you are tired and, you know, specifically as adults, but I even look at my teenagers, when you're tired, your decision-making skills go down by at least 75%. Um, that's a statistic. <laughs> no, I just made that up. <laughs> um, no, but uh, yeah, I mean, sleep for me is so big just because I feel so much better when I sleep. Um, I do enjoy doing a little bit of meditation. Uh, I used to do guided meditation, but now I sort of just kind of, uh, prefer to do a little bit of like yoga meditation with some mantras or just some like grounding words that maybe help me feel, um, a little bit better. Uh, watching my caffeine intake was a big thing for me. Uh, I do enjoy coffee. I have a couple cups of coffee a day, but I also have to recognize like when I've had too much coffee and I need to switch to food or, you know, in the afternoon, if I'm tired, honoring that physical feeling instead of saying, I just need another cup of coffee to push through. So watching my caffeine intake uh, was a big one. Obviously, I think everybody benefits from less sugar. Um, and I feel like I'm much more intentional about my sugar. I used to be crazy with sugar. Um, but that's just like more of like a, that's just me personally. I kind of just like to, I mean, I, I'm at a very good place with sugar. I feel like sugar is like such a trigger. You know, it's, it is like, it's the boyfriend that you keep going back to. He doesn't treat you well. Right. But you just yep. keep going back. Yep. Um, exercise, exercise is a big thing for me because when I'm, when I feel physically stronger, I feel mentally stronger. So, um, I've been working with a personal trainer for a year and sometimes some weeks, the only reason I go to the gym is because I have a standing appointment with him and he knows that I have not seen the inside of that gym any other day that week, but he is still there to meet me. Finding a great personal trainer honestly is, is so key too, because he's so big on working with like the whole person. And mm -hmm. so he knows some weeks are harder for me than others. And he doesn't want to push me physically. If he knows that I'm already either a feeling under the weather or having emotionally a really hard time. And, you know, there's even been times where he's been like, you know, we're not going to do this today because I feel like you need something else today. So he, I feel like he's very intuitive, um, working with me. Obviously at certain points in my life, I've had to step away from social media 
Um, that's been a big thing, I think, for people, especially if you're the type of person who naturally tends to uh, look at other people and see what they have and compare yourself. Comparison was a big thing for me. And I would see all these people doing great things and taking great trips and looking so cute. And you know, that, that was really hard. And so if that just means maybe unfollowing some people who feel like triggers for you or just stepping away from social media altogether, I think that's always good to have a reality check. Um, in those places, especially if you find yourself at 2 a.m. going down the Instagram rabbit <laughs> hole and then you're like, what just happened? Yep. Um, Four yes. hours later, you haven't slept. Yeah, yeah right? So like yeah. just really putting that guard up with social media. Um, and then, yeah, therapy. Therapy has been big. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a great I think, I think that's a great example of somebody who is taking it, taking, getting at it from all aspects, right? Like yeah. in recognizing the things it's a give and take relationship between sure. all of these things. So I think, I think that's a really, I appreciate your balanced, balanced approach to it. Um, and that you're not in the, I just need to do more phase anymore, but yeah. I think that's great. So that's all we've got, Trisha. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your willingness to talk about all of this. And again, like I said, I really appreciate what you're doing with the Medicated Like Me project. Can you tell me a little bit or tell us where um, people can find you and connect with you online? Sure. Yes. Um, so you can find me on Instagram. That's where I spend most of my time. I'm at Trisha underscore Hughes underscore. Um, you can also check out, uh, my best friend Courtney and I's photography retreat. If you would love to come learn photography, we would love to meet you. Yeah. Um, and our website is we wandersretreat.com. We also have an Instagram at we wanderers retreat and you can check out my blog, but it's kind of sleepy right now. <laughs> and I'm actually working on building up a commercial portfolio blog. So if you want to check out eatyourbeats.com, you can. Um, I still have some stuff there, but yeah, basically I spend most of my time on Instagram and that's honestly where I love to connect with people the most. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's the most fun space for me, I think. Awesome. Me too. I love Instagram. That's, yeah. that's how you and I met. Yeah. <laughs> I made a lot of friends from Instagram. Same. I, yeah. Same. I will link to all of that stuff in the show notes for people. Okay. Um, and as always, if you enjoy the show or you have somebody in mind who might benefit from what we talked about today, please feel free to share that with them. Um, and if you aren't subscribed, make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss out on any episodes as sporadic as they've been lately. Um, you can find the full show notes for this episode at marthaflorence.com forward slash 3030. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.